must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support. And now for the show. I saw a neat article the other day for a new prosthesis for dancers specifically called the Marie T. Have you guys seen this yet? Um, And if not, what are some of the other cutting edge treatments and technologies you see being used for dancers? I definitely saw this. I, well, Jess and I actually spoke about this before to like, what do you think? What do you think? Which was fun. <laughs> we um, did, yeah. Yeah, I, I, we're both on the same page. It's great. You know, it's so good to see that they're coming. It's about time that they have something like this for an amputee. I think there are definitely, of course, limitations because this person's going to be stuck in essentially a point shoot. So they're not, I don't know how they're going to run even. There's going to be have to, the choreography will have to be altered significantly for somebody wearing this prosthesis. I still, I don't want to say no, but it's just, it's going to be still a little bit limiting, but it is a great, great start. It also will cause new injuries that we have not seen yet for somebody who is an amputee and us uh, give us an opportunity to learn where, unfortunately, they may have more wear and tear on their knee or their hip or their back, their low back over time. Um, especially because depending on where their amputation is, it could definitely shorten the length of their um, a hamstring, quad, a hip abductor muscles, depending on, you know, where they had to cut. Um, so they may, they may not have that muscular ability to support themselves um, just because of the lack thereof, which is normally there for uh, um, a person who has not been amputated. But I, I do think it is so great that they have something like this out. As for other kinds edge treatments I haven't really seen any any big ones like this one uh, this this is the most recent one what do you think Jess have you seen anything new I you know it was funny I I would agree a hundred percent with you Jenna because I mean when I saw that I thought what an amazing beautiful thing right um, to be able to dance because as we know dancers like that they, it's their identity it's it's who you are it's who you are from a young age so to lose a limb um, and then not be able to dance would be, you know, part of the identity crisis to be able to have that opportunity in some fashion. It's phenomenal. Um, As far as other cutting edge stuff, again, there really isn't much. I mean, the only thing that I've seen is just the the motion analysis stuff that they're doing. Um, Again, that's utilized trying to figure out what's exactly going on or what's causing type of different types of injuries. But there isn't a lot out there yet because, you know, we're in a new realm of dance medicine science and it's, it's forever growing. Um, so it's an exciting time, but there isn't much out there. I agree with you. Yeah. What are your thoughts on how and if dancing should be integrated into DPT education? So that's a really good point. I mean, of course, I mean, 
I think Jenna would probably agree being dancers and this being our passion, you know, we would think this should be part of it. Um, the complication lies, of course, you know, how much time um, can you fit into your, you know, all the curriculum and, of course, pass your boards as the emphasis is. Um, I think that there needs to be an element to it um, because, you know, one of my missions personally is to educate other clinicians on dance medicine because for any young dancer that goes out, and sees a physical therapist, it's so essential that they can connect and that they can identify and they feel like they're in a safe place and that they're going to make a change. And so more clinicians need to be aware and comfortable to some degree, um, as with any other athlete. Um, so I think when it comes to the sports medicine aspect of the curriculum, there should be an element. Um, and I think it would be nice to offer um, some sort type of um, outside curricular activity if a student is interested in it um, and direct them of where they can go to pursue that interest. That would be yeah. what I would think. I love that. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I was fortunate at my school. I was able to have, uh, they had electives during my third year before we went into our last two clinicals. So I did a foot and ankle elective and these were with practitioners in, uh, in New York who are incredible and they also taught at performing arts electives actually those were my favorite classes of my uh, some of my uh, the, some of my few favorite classes of my whole uh, PT education <laughs> in school uh, I, um, and then I mean if you don't have that at your school though I do think that's not a, a complete limitation there is a big advantage to not being employed and being a student especially during your clinical rotation if you are good with your time management you can volunteer there are a lot of volunteer opportunities in New York alone which is where I am there's there's dance for PD there's um, people who uh, primarily I forget the name of it but basically people who get around via wheelchairs and they have dance classes and performing that they do here that you could get involved with and you can just go and you know if you want to go to steps on broadway and just even observe dance classes i mean there's so much you can do you can start a blog a lot of a lot of students start blogs and that forces them to have to write about dance and then do their own research so that they you know have have content have uh, and then you could do a presentation you can make the presentation that you do during your clinical rotation and push ahead for any uh, um, outpatient ortho even if you don't get a dance clinical be like hey this is my passion you could talk to me like hey could i do it on this even if they say no you could still write that presentation and you can go around and give injury prevention lectures all over you can regularly find opportunities to push yourself and your knowledge and your overall reputation in the physical therapy community and amongst people you know just by creating your own opportunities i love it i love it and i know you both had kind of mentioned parts of this earlier in terms of kind of some of the unique strengths and kind of the really positive aspects of treating this population but also some of the things that perhaps can be really challenging at times to address um but besides what you guys had mentioned what are some of the other pros and cons that you guys have noticed um when it comes to even just teaching dancers on injuries and the rehab process First, the pros, um, definitely pros, that most of them, they do follow the, their rehab program and do the exercises. Not all. In musical theater, it's not as stronger as I say, would say the ballet cohort that I've seen um, because you have kind of average Joes. A lot of them are actors and they've been told to do a dance. So it's a slightly different mindset. 
um, they do have a lot of knowledge and are very aware of their own bodies. That is another big pro. They also, for cons though, they believe a lot of myths. There's a lot of myths. I'll just say a couple. Stretching. They don't understand with their flexibility how to properly stretch. They don't understand, even though if it's told, it's hard for them to really grasp the concept of doing dynamic stretching before going into the activity and then static stretching as after their their activity. This is a very big thing. And because I, we do have the repetitive overuse, overuse, but I personally believe because of this lack of knowledge, this actually is something that definitely can lead to a lot of the strains that uh, we see and that I actually did to myself. I was doing static stretching, not dynamic stretching. And when I dropped down into that split, I hadn't trained my muscles to do that sudden, you know, split. So um, that is definitely uh, a, a myth. Understanding when their limitation is uh, their, their limitation, say they can kick, they're working on their flexibility for them there's a myth where they don't understand. Sometimes their flexibility isn't the thing to address in order to develop a, their leg, alicicone, up next to their head. It could actually have to do with muscle weakness. So they'll sit there and keep stretching, thinking, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? And not acknowledge the muscle weakness that needs to be addressed. And then also icing. They don't understand icing. The, the, a big thing that I've seen in musical theater is they ice anything that hurts without understanding the difference between when to heat and when to ice. So they'll sit there and they'll ice their knee and then they jump into a dance class. And we know what that does to them, those muscles. It just gets them to tighten up and they don't want to move. So that also makes them even more vulnerable to make what's going on in their bodies even worse. And then, of course, odd food habits, as we were talking about before. Um, there's definitely very, and I, I'm guilty of it myself as part of the community. We de definitely take on a bunch of different diets, try different things. If somebody says something weird, we don't say, oh, that sounds stupid. That makes no sense. We say, oh, cool. Let me try it. <laughs> so um, I would say that the myths that, that definitely run around are, are a, uh, a big limitation for them. What do you think? Jess? Jenna, you bring up that pretty much amazing exactly what you said yes so <laughs> you know the myth the myths are very hard to overcome you yes. know we're trained really young in a certain frame of mind and it's hard to kind of get out of that comfort zone um and you know there's that belief that yes the dance class itself prepares me adequately for dance i that's all i need i'm good um, and then there's that common myth that, you know, I don't want to see any medical professional because I'm afraid they're going to tell me I can't dance. Oh. Um, so, you know, getting to understand that, that, you know, give that, that dancer to like have some type of faith in you as a clinician, you know, and that's where it comes to knowing their lingo and being able to identify and know kind of what their world is. Um, but I would say, you know, the only other thing I would add, you know, that, that dynamic stretching is huge because we all were trained to do that static stretching and we know that that doesn't lead to improvement of performance at all. Um, but getting them to understand that outside they need to do some type of strength conditioning and, and cross training because, you know, it's uncomfortable. We, they were trained, you know, to feel that what they're doing in dance class prepares them, but they don't have the adequate strength. And feeling that confidence that that type of resistance training is not going to affect their aesthetics, it's going to help reduce injury. Um, and if they are injury, injured, it's going to improve their time to recover um, is, is somewhat of a challenge, I would say, for sure. Yeah, I always, I always say that 
if I would know what I know now when I was a dancer, I would have been a much better dancer. So I totally agree <laughs> with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> with, you know, with, with you both doing, uh, having businesses related to dancing and physical therapy, is the dancing reha- rehabilitation market lucrative? And what advice would you give to a clinician looking to open up their own clinic for dancers? So I would say it definitely is lucrative. Um, there's that potential for that. Um, there, the first, first of all, you know, there aren't a lot of us out there at this point in time. Um, so tapping into that market, um, knowing what your community is, is lacking or where you could help them. So the other thing to consider is, of course, you know, as I mentioned earlier, dancers do not have a lot of the financial stability. Um, so part of when you do open up a practice is, is knowing that you do need to do a fair amount of pro bono work. Um, and that's very rewarding as it is anyway. Um, but knowing that there is a fair amount of lucrative opportunities, um, I would say getting involved in the local dance studios, you know, doing community talks, getting them to know who you are, doing screens. Um, and doing screens and uh, at varied times during the year is helpful. Um, getting offering different talks during that time period. Um, one of the things that I did um, was getting into the local university um, here because the dancers here uh, at Slippery Rock University, where where I am, they're not considered athletes, so they don't have the means um, to, with athletic training and different medical providers. So. I said, why don't you have me come in as a con- as you know as someone that you can consult with, um, and I come in backstage and I work with them during their performances. So there's different means. You just have to get creative. Um, but I do think that there's definitely potential there for it being lucrative. But you do have to do your fair amount of pro bono work. Um, as with anything, I think that it's very important and it's fulfilling anyway. Yeah, that's what I would say. I agree with you. I, I, say, I say yes, it's definitely lucrative, uh, but it does take work and all that work that you were just mentioning, Jessica. Uh, I do think that, yes, performers, it's not thing. Performers do not have a lot of money and most of them don't have, have, have health insurance, especially after their parents, they're not on their parents anymore. Um, but my big thing that I am, am starting to ask is, is that what's really stopping them from getting the health insurance and getting this the help that they need and paying that money so they make they make they do make little enough in order to get easily covered by medicaid or some sort of government insurance for sure however however if you hang out with these musical theater performers they have the newest phones the newest playstations i even know someone who had the a real fur coat i was like are you kidding me and i would say the best example of knowing that it can be lucrative and it really has to do with personal value is there's this awesome awesome gym oh my god they should pay me for this uh, mark fisher fitness here in new york and it is a cult and i mean that in the best way so not by the true definition literally their mascot is a unicorn they use perverted terms in order to give cues at their gym it is all musical theater people acting crazy wearing inappropriate outfits and getting their work out on and they get results it costs five hundred dollars to take only three classes a week for a month five wow. and they have a huge 
a huge following. Even my husband and I are asking for Christmas for, for money towards Mark Fisher Fitness because it's so fun and they get results and we believe in what they do. So I really think that even though, yes, performers need to get paid more and all that stuff, but if you provide what is valuable to them, if you stay consistent and you get truly specific in your niche and get those people to go, oh, that you're speaking to me and I want what you are offering, then yes, you can find a lot of success. So I would definitely use Mark Fisher Fitness saying, you know what? Anything is possible. You don't need insurance. Cash BT, there's an opening big time for it. You just need to hit what sparks their interest. What would you say to somebody who is interested in learning more about dancing rehabilitation? What are some of the best resources that um, they could try to find like books, classes, websites, so forth. Well, Jessica teaches a class. You want to, you want to throw drop that down? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jenna. <laughs> that is, that is, yes, I do teach I do teach a course um, on management of the performing artist because again, as I mentioned, you know, my mission is to teach outside clinicians how to be comfortable with dancers um, and what you need to do. Um, I would say, you know, the, the, and Jenna, you can jump on to the, the items. So International Association of Dance Medicine and Science. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It's phenomenal. There, it's not right. that expensive. There's just so much research that you get access to and so many resources. Um, the Harkness Center for Dance Medicine and Science is amazing. Um, our own ACPA obviously has the performing arts section, which is incredible with great resources um and uh as far as um even dance magazine dance magazine has been putting out some incredible stuff um and it's great to give your dancers um they have great stuff online um and of course your podcast hello jenna uh, oh yes therapy performance perspective which jessica was featured <laughs> on outstanding <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so there's a book even too that's uh, Prevention of Injuries of the Young Dancer, which has been great. Um, I'd recommend that book. Um, anything else, Jenna? I wrote out this list. Let me see. So, oh, I, I like to go outside the box. I, I said, uh, let me skip over things that you said. I said this before, put together a, a presentation of common injuries and, uh, or specific dance injuries or the physical demands within the specific dance form that will motivate you to do the work to get more knowledgeable. And, you know, when you have some, uh, some an end goal that will definitely increase your motivation to learn more. You need to stay on top of evidence for dancers. So definitely I Adams, the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science that Jess said for sure. Assess your dancer friends for free. Assess your dancer friends for free. First of all, they're around you all the time. The trust is already built there and you'll get that practice like that. And it, it will just make you feel so much more confident about jumping in and working with these performing artists. Definitely read books on sales and marketing because when you're getting into dance, I spoke about Mark Fisher Fitness and having that niche and people paying a lot of money. You still need to know your stuff business-wise then because you've got to know how to sell them. You've got to know how to run a business. Even if you are working for someone else, why are they still going to come to you compared to all the other physical therapists? You need to be on top of yourself, your own, your own entity as a business. 
I also look at what other dance physical therapists are doing online and reach out to them, connect with them, find out what they're doing, have conversations, meet up with them in Pittsburgh during Christmas break, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which is what Jess and I are doing, which is going to be great. You could even copy what I did and you could create a podcast like Physiotherapy Performance Perspectives. Honestly, the more information, the merrier. We're not here to compete. We're here to all grow and we're so much better together. This is dance is such a specific niche. And as Jess was saying, there's really not a lot of us out there in the first place and if you think about all the performers out there as a whole I mean I'm, I'm, more, I'm musical theater but even dancers as a whole we do not have enough physical therapists as of now to, to handle and treat all of them so we need you well, I think that's really wow. important, and especially because, I mean, those are some really, really helpful resources and especially some good tips for someone who wants to learn more, just even get more involved from that standpoint to initially start down that trajectory. But, you know, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here and kind of ask a follow-up question to each of you with kind of what you're both doing now within your career standpoint involving dance. So what are your guys' plans from a career standpoint involving dance and rehab, and what do you kind of see it going towards for the next five to ten years? I love to have a lot on my plate. So I, I was just thinking about this literally right now. And <laughs> this is how I'll organize it. So I have the stuff that I'm doing for dance physical therapy. And within dance physical therapy, I have my own private practice, Jenna Cantor Physical Therapy. And so that is just treating performing artists, specifically musical theater performers, is where I want to grow. But I don't want to see 5 million patients a week. I want to see just, a, honestly, a maximum of 10 patients a week. I would say both the maximum minimum. I would like it to only be 10 patients a week, especially because of the other things that I have going on in my life. And I want to give the ultimate care to each patient. Uh, So I have the online course that I am creating. It's called Powerful Performer. So this is for performing artists as well. It's going to be released uh, as early as late 2019, but it might be pushed back a little bit after that because it is for female musical theater performers ages 30 to 40. And its sole purpose is to truly educate these individuals who have been injured before on how to take better care of themselves. Big, big picture. This includes not only all the obvious physical therapy stuff with their anatomy, some basic kinesiology, but I also go into insurance. I go into understanding health insurance. We go into finances. I have a professional coming in. Some of you guys might know of Will Butler's coming in for that. I have somebody coming in for pelvic health, another person coming in for taping. I mean, it's very, very well-rounded, and to and it would be a definite financial investment that is worth a lot more than what they will be paying and help them out to have longer, healthier careers. And then I have the podcast Physiotherapy Performance Perspectives is my third thing that I have for these performing artists, and that is a free resource because... Yes, that is addressing the financial constraints, and I just want to keep giving information out there from amazing physical therapists who have a lot of great information to share. The last thing that I'm doing is kind of related, but not completely, and that's fairy tale physical therapy. That is where we bring musical theater shows to children in hospitals and teach choreography that is secretly composed of therapeutic exercises. Right now, it's in the profit of becoming a, a nonprofit organization. The ultimate goal is 
is to have all PT and PTA students throughout the United States, bringing them to all the hospitals throughout the United States. It's a big dream, but that's why it needs to go nonprofit because I got to get paid if I'm going to be doing that. That's going to be probably the most time consuming thing in the best way. Um, so that is the, I would say that one big picture, that's where I want to be is with fairytale physical therapy, really um, giving that great emotional and physical release on a regular basis in these hospitals. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> so for me personally, um, so I opened up uh, per, uh, Perform Physio, and it's a cash practice um, with my business partner, Carly Greenewald. Um, and our mission is, you know, it's a to, to basically, you know, for me personally, to be able to treat patients the way that I want to be able to treat them. Um, and so and specifically for dancers, um, what I want to do is kind of tap into prevention, um, working with those young adolescent dancers and tapping into kind of correcting positional faults or things that may, if identified early, prevent injuries and prolong their careers. Um, but also working with dancers who are currently professionals as well and rehabilitating them in the way that, you know, I want to be able to work. Um, and then my other mission is, you know, I'm, I'm teaching with Institute of Clinical Excellence. Um, I have the uh, management of the performing artist course, which I created, which was a dream of mine, um, because I always wanted to be able to educate other PTs on how to work with dancers. Because again, with that whole prevention mindset, you know, if more of us are out there, and we have that young dancer that comes to us who has that fear, am I going to be able to be, you know, am I going to be able to continue to dance? If we can help them in that moment with that acute injury and prevent anything from being chronic, um, what an impact we can make um, professionally and, and get these dancers to have long careers. Um, so those are both of my goals to be able to have my private practice grow and keep teaching. Um, and that's what I've been doing this past, uh, you know, a couple of years and it's been pretty exciting, um, diving into this and, and pursuing my passion. So, you know, obviously there's been a lot that's been talked about here and I really like that. And actually Jess, at some point I'm totally going to take that class just because even though I don't see dancers much, I think it's good to at least understand the basics and understand some of these things. So in the event that I do, I at least feel like I know what I'm doing to at least do something. <laughs> so yes. so yes. that's Good. definitely, definitely going to happen after fellowship though, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it will happen, but it will happen. But you know, I, I, the interesting thing about this podcast is that, you know, obviously with us being called the healthcare education transformation podcast, you know, we kind of made our last question kind of our big cheese, if you will, to kind of really get at, some ways that we can work on improving education. So I'm going to pose this question to each of you because this is our big one here. So the question is, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, whether that be DPT or otherwise, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? For me personally, if I could go back, um, I wish at an early stage I had been educated to critically think. Um, so much of, and again, you know, I'm old school, but so much of my education was kind of rote memorization, um, memorizing different, you know, phenomenon so that I would pass X, Y, and Z. Um, but when it came down to getting into the clinic and having to be able to think on the spot um, and really get to know my patient as a whole, I really don't feel I was adequately prepared for that. Um, and I think if early on we can get young clinicians to start thinking outside of the box, think, um, because none of our patients are textbook anyway. 
Um, so to be able to figure it out, use your brain, um, get creative because physical therapists by nature are creative. So gosh, use our brains and think in an outside of the box type fashion. What a brilliance we could all become if we think that way. So that's, that's kind of what I would like to push. For me, an opportunity for every student to have a dance clinical rotation. That doesn't make or break your career. It doesn't mean you can't work with dancers. But I just know I was fortunate to have a dance clinical rotation, but I, I can only imagine how heartbreaking that must feel for my friends and people who I know right now who have not been able to make that happen. It really just feels like the end. And uh, I think I think everyone should have a right for, to that. And so I hope that as these dance clinics, more of um, independent clinics like Jessica's and mine open up, we are able to fit it in and um, make a way to let these students in to learn and, and really see if this is what they want and then feel more excited and even braver uh, and more inspired to take on the, the career specifically in the direction to work with dancers. Yeah, awesome, ladies. I, I can't thank you enough for your time tonight and for coming on the show. But where can people find you online and on social media if they have more questions or just want to follow up and chat with you, ladies? Everywhere. <laughs> I think the better question. I think the better question is, guys, where do you have to look to not see them? Right. Where are they not at this point? <laughs> it's if only it's funny because it's true. If it's not Jenna, it's Jessica. If it's Jessica, it's Jenna. <laughs> I, I'm on hold. Um, I have my website, jennacantor.com, that leads you to everything. And if you want to find me on social media for everything, I'm just facebook.com backslash Jenna Cantor. Twitter, Jenna Cantor. The only one that's just different is Instagram, but I only just post pictures on that. I haven't jumped on that bandwagon yet because I just love me some Facebook. I just put all my energy on Facebook, you know? Where are you, Jess? <laughs> so my website for my for my work is performphysiopt.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram. At, at, um, it's at jdavis7476. Um, also at performphysiopt, also on Instagram. Um, Twitter's at davisonly. Um, and then on Facebook, performphysiopt. Um, so, yeah, you know, on that note, I have to say I was really impressed. This is an aside, but I had a, a young student that reached out to me on Instagram. So seriously, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, and she said, hey, I want to do a clinical with you. And I said, you know what? I don't have enough patients right now, but I directed her to another amazing clinician in Chicago. Um, and I think that the more of us that connect and lead these students to, you know, their dream type of um, clinicals, I say the more power to you. So seriously, reach out to both of us because we'll, we'll direct Jenna and I are always back and forth talking about this type of stuff. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And I appreciate the insight that you both have brought on. And I love what you guys are doing in this niche specifically. And I can't wait to see what you both are going to continue to contribute. So keep it up and thank you both for your time and insight tonight. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Yeah. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today. 
and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.